Thanks so much for joining us at C3 Silicon Valley for our podcast. If you have a story to share about what God is doing in your life or how this ministry has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at mystory@c3sv.com. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got a Bible while you stay standing, grab your Bibles. Let's open up to Philippians. I want to give a big shout out to our other locations, San Jose and San Francisco. Come on, let's welcome them as the Palo Alto campus, as the host campus. What's up, SF? Pastors Vance and Kim and a whole bunch of good looking people in San Francisco. They're about to launch in a couple of weeks time. Did you know that? Officially launch. We've had a soft launch. But now we're launching and we're forever a church in the city of San Francisco. It's going to be amazing. But let me read some scripture. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. How many people know that when the Bible says whatever, it means whatever? Everyone say whatever. That means whatever your condition, whatever your situation, whatever the economic climate, whatever your relationship status, and even whatever president is elected, whatever the Bible says, rejoice. Whatever. I'm going to need some help preaching today. I'm just at the scripture, but I still need some help. The more you engage, the quicker I'm going to preach. That's a deal. We'll do that deal. The more you say amen, the faster I go. Whatever. I never get tired of telling you these things, Paul says, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more, Paul says. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. Man, that scripture's preaching me happy already. There is so much in that passage that I could just preach from. It is a rich text. I don't know where I'm going to begin today. But by the faith in Jesus and by the grace of God, God's going to speak to us through this. Do you believe it? We're going to speak from a brand new series that we're launching today, simply called Revive. That's what we're calling it. We're just calling it one word. Revive, Because the reason we're going to do this is because August is our birthday month. I don't know if you know that. It's our birthday month. And on the fourth week of August, we're turning four as a church. So I thought, I thought it'd be cool and kind of clever and kind of creative that if we took four sermons from the last four years of our church... And we re-preach them. We revive four sermons. 
Meaning we take my favorite four and I preach them better than I did the first time. How about that? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to preach them even better. And I know what you're thinking. How do they get any better? Well, you just hold on to your seatbelts. We're going to have some fun in church, reviving some sermons. Can we have some fun in church? Don't get all Presbyterian on me. Come on. We're, we're going to have some fun in church. I love my Presbyterian brothers. Amen. Amen. But I'm going to start with a sermon from, from, from this year, in fact. In fact, I'm going to re-preach for the first one, a sermon I only preached like about a month ago, the last time I preached actually. So I'm ready to get unhinged today. I haven't preached in a couple of weeks. I've had a little break. But I'm going to re-preach a sermon that was labeled Turn It Around. I feel like there's more in it. I feel like we can still juice Philippians a little bit, a little bit more. Still got a little bit more time in Philippians. So, so I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick and say, we're going to turn it around. We're going to turn it around. Why don't you do something, in fact, why don't you find four people in honor of four years and say, it's time to turn around. Come on. It's time to turn around. Four people, all locations, San Francisco, San Jose, Palo Alto. Come on, tell four people to turn it around today. Turn it around, turn it around, turn it around. Thank you, worship team. You can go ahead and grab your seats. If you're looking for a title to put at the top of your notes, as I trust all of God's people will be taking notes today, you can put the, simply the word reveal. We're going with a one-word series. I thought we could go with a one-word sermon title. Just put the, the word reveal at the top there. You know, essentially what we have here in this passage that Paul writes to the Philippian church, is a discourse around the value of knowing Christ and being found in Him. A letter that he penned while imprisoned in Rome with the intent of revealing what was actually really going on. That was his intent. And something that the apostle doesn't want us or the church in Philippi to misunderstand is that by no means does your current condition determine the condition of your faith. Your faith does not have to be determined by the atmosphere surrounding your life, that your current condition does not have to determine the condition of your faith. And a consistent theme in Paul's teaching throughout Scripture is a contrast between what's visible in this life and what's meant to be truly seen. Now, that does not mean that we are meant to walk through this life as sceptical and critical people. Amen. Just skeptical about what's really going on. We're just just cautious and on guard all the time about what's really happening, like as if there's always an ulterior motive. How many people know those kinds of people? They're always looking at you like, what do you really mean? No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what Paul's trying to, to paint. He is, though, placing an importance on having the right perspective. And something that I have actually discovered and, and that the Bible makes very clear is that Jesus was all about turning things around. Did you know that? He's all about it. He, he's all about turning situations around. He's all about turning lives around. He's about turning water into wine. He's all about turning darkness into light. He's into turning darkness around, death around, blindness around, lameness around. God wants to turn things around. Not just take things as they are, but see the potential and the possibility in what could be. And when you really grasp this understanding, you can begin to walk through life, not just seeing things as they are, but seeing through the eyes of possibility and potential. You know, this week in our, in our uh, 
church life, we have had a little bit of media attention. How many people have known that? You've noticed that you're on the BuzzFeed. Congratulations, by the way, on being the hippest church in the Silicon Valley. Whatever that means. It's because Rickland's here. That's why, you know. Don't hate. Don't hate. Brother can't help it. Just hip. But because of the media attention, it's been fascinating just some of the different articles that have been perpetuated out of certain media posts that have been about our church. And I'm all embracive of it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let's, let's talk about God. And, uh, you know, the more God talk that's in the media, the better, I believe. And, uh, and so we've been, been fascinated by just how it's kind of uh, made more articles. And even in Australia, there's a lot of hype right now about you guys. You've been talked about in Australia. Be encouraged. It's all good. It's all good. Because we got phone calls this week uh, from some friends in Australia who were like, you guys are on the radio. And we're like, what do you mean? I don't remember doing a bit, but, but they're like, no, no, no. They're talking about your church on the radio in Australia. And, and, and at, first, at first I thought, that's, that's kind of funny. But then I thought, oh, this is brilliant. This is actually perfect. Because I started to jump on Facebook and search for a particular person I hadn't seen in a long time. And, and in fact, it was uh, one of Kira's ex-Bible uh, college lecturers. And, and I thought, this is perfect. Because, because when, when she was doing Bible college, we started dating just at that time. And, and we'd started dating. And she was like the prized pupil of this one particular Bible college lecturer who one day Kira just walks into Bible college just with a huge smile. You can't hide joy. You can't hide it. We just started dating the night before and I asked her out. She now officially became my girlfriend and she walks into Bible college just like, like smiling, like ear to ear. You cannot wipe that smile off her face. Still to this day, smiling. And <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and so, and so she, she walks in and, and he says, why, why are you so happy this morning? And, and because her life was a mess before, she was just sad all the time. No, I'm joking. No, because he's like, why are you so happy? today and one of her friends said oh because she's dating and he and he looked at her and he said like almost disappointed you know he's like dating who and and then she said Adam Smolkham and and he's like why him <laughs> now 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 to his defense there wasn't a lot of potential happening right there at that moment. But, but nonetheless, for 14 years now, I've been waiting for an opportunity just to show him why him. That's what I've been waiting for. And I thought if I could find a little Facebook article, a little newsreel in his hometown, that he's not on the news. I am on the news. But I couldn't find his Facebook. Thank you. I think that was Jesus. So instead, I decided to call the first pastor that ever employed me. That's what I thought was a better idea. And I had a conversation with him. We were talking and I said, tell me this question. What, what was it that you saw in me that nobody else saw that you were willing to pay me to do this? Like, what was it that you saw in, in me? And we had a fascinating conversation. And sometimes you just got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You know that? Sometimes you got to find the right voices to speak into your life. And I had let him encourage me for a moment. And he said, you know, other than all the kind of the christian stuff, you know, calling, anointing, that kind of stuff. He's like, you know what? I found that you had an incredible confidence. And I said, tell me more. No, I said, 
I, I, I said, well, that's funny that you say that because, because most of the time, and even when I look back on my life at that time, I didn't feel confident. In fact, I was, I was kind of frightened and afraid more than anything. You know, even now, and I don't know if that gives you much confidence in me as your lead pastor, but there are many times where I'm not confident at all in where God's taking us. I'm, I'm, I'm more than aware that where he's taking us is going to require a lot. It's going to require miracles. It's going to require much more than what I can give. And it's going to have to be by his grace. And so there are times where I'm certain that I don't have what it takes God to take your people here. And I said that to him. It's fascinating because I always felt more afraid than full of confidence. And he said, no, I can see that too. I said, well, what, how, how is it that you saw confidence? He's like, I could see that you were afraid, but whatever you spoke was faith. And I thought that's a brilliant key maybe that we could grasp today. That even in this life, when we see opposition and we see fear in our life, we can still speak an opposite word. We can still speak what God speaks. We can still speak His word over our situations that hopefully our speaking and our sight will line up with what we speak. Speak faith. Look your neighbor and say, speak it. you got to speak it. you got to speak into existence. I don't know if you know this or not, but... Creation was came from speaking. Speaking's primary purpose is to create. The Bible says in the beginning, God spoke the world into existence. Then he spoke to Adam. Communication is secondary. Creation is first. That you get to speak over your world and over your life what will be. And in this passage, we see that Paul puts into perspective our position in Christ. This is what Paul's doing. He's, he's trying to put some things into perspective for us. He's, he's trying to align some things, get it right. And he warns the church strongly against those, those people, those, 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 Gentile, those, those Jewish believers who were trying to pressure, pressure the Gentile believers towards circumcision as if circumcision is like an outward expression of their new commitment to the, to the community of faith. And Paul sees this as a grave mistake, knowing that It's not by circumcision of human hands or of the flesh that brings us into relationship with God, but a circumcision of the heart that brings us into this relationship. That's the point that Paul was trying to push all the time. And so he comes against these, these, uh, what he he uses strong words, these mutilators, these evildoers, he he writes. He, He holds nothing back in his articulation of exactly who they are, trying to bring restrictions into the way you live and trying to copy and control and make everybody uniform, not unified, is what he was trying to do. And so he uses some pretty heavy language. Check this out. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be safe. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on Christ Jesus and what He has done. We put no confidence in human effort. Though, let let it be known, he says, I could have confidence in human effort if anybody could. He's like, if we're going to play that game, I can play. I, could, I, could, I, can real, I could play you out of the yard is what he's saying. He's like, I was, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, not you fakers, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness... 
I obey the law without fault. Paul is giving his list of requirements, or he, he's ultimately giving his list of qualifications as if, as if religious duty required these qualifications, as if righteousness came because of your list of qualifications in life. And he goes head to head with them. He, he doesn't hold anything back. And pretty much he, he's telling them, guys, guys, I put no confidence in that. But if you want to play this game, trust me, you want to step out right now. He's like, if it's a qualifications game, I'm going to dunk on you. That's what he's saying. He's like, I'm going to bring the game. Because I could tell you exactly what I've done and who I am. Some of you have just started going to seminary. He's like, man, I was religious before I could read. That's where I come from. And he gives his long list of religious rhetoric and qualifications. And then he goes on to say this in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I like this. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness as they do. They were counting on the fact that they could keep righteous. They were counting on the fact that they could resist temptation. They were counting on the fact that they could do some things pretty amazingly on their own effort. But Paul's Paul saying, guys, guys, what I consider that is garbage. I no longer count on those things through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Check this out, verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from, from the dead. He says, I want, to, I want to know Christ after knowing everything about Christ, after knowing every detail, after knowing all the qualifications, after ticking everything off the list, after knowing about him, I want to know him. I don't want to just know about him. And he goes ahead and he lists all these religious qualifications. And he lists all this rhetoric. He's like, I consider it all as garbage. And when I read this whole passage, I feel like maybe I could just break this down into one single sentence. Because Paul was religious before he was saved, but his religion couldn't save him. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, guys, I was religious. I had it. I had it down and I was religious before I was saved, but I realized that my religion couldn't save me. It wasn't what about what I knew, it was who I knew. It's like, I want to know him. I want to know Christ and experience the, the power that raises people to life. He says he has come to desire more than anything, more than religious rituals and rules to live by. He, he says, I want to know what it is to live by that resurrection power. That kind of power that turns things around. This is what resurrection power is. It turns things around. We see it in the story of Lazarus. How many people know the story of Lazarus? Lazarus, dear friend of Jesus, he, he dies. Jesus delays in his time getting to Lazarus. And when he arrives at the scene, we see Martha comes up to Jesus, a little bit angry. I don't know how you read the story. Maybe you read the story like Martha comes up to him and says, oh, Jesus is really unfortunate because, you know, you're kind of powerful. And if you hadn't been here, you probably wouldn't have had the situation that we do. So just letting you know. I don't think that's how it is. I think she got a little bit sassy to it. You know what I mean? I think she's a little bit angry. She got the hip out. You know what I mean? She's like, if you had been here, Jesus. She's got a little bit of anger on the inside. 
And she said, how you been here? The situation wouldn't look the way it does. Now we've got a situation. Now we've got a circumstance and all we see is death. He's dead. And and it's amazing how Jesus responds because he says to her a little simple phrase, very calm, very poignant phrase. He says, do you believe he will rise again? Simple question enough. Yes or no answer is all required. But she goes on to say, "Well, well, well, yes, Lord, I do believe that in the end of time, all men will rise qualifying her theology and knowing that we're all raised to new life. But, but, but Jesus says something very powerful and he responds to her theology and, and her doctrine and says, yeah, but, but Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And what it's easy to miss is when we see resurrection as an event in time. But what Jesus says is resurrection isn't an event. Resurrection is a person and his name is Jesus. So whatever Jesus touches has to come back to life. Whatever Jesus is involved in has to come. I'm talking about the things in your life. I'm talking about the dreams in your life. I'm talking about the relationships in your life. I'm talking about the finances, the heartache, the brokenness. Whatever Jesus touches has to come back to life. Because He is the resurrection and the power. And this is the kind of power that Paul is talking about. He's like, I want to know that power. I want to live in that power. I don't want to just walk through life with my Christianity being about a list of morals, a list of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts. That's not what I want my Christian walk to be about. I want it about turning some things around in my life, turning some things around in others' lives. I want to hear the real power of God and feel it flowing through my life. That's what I want to live after living this way. I like Paul. I like how he rolls. He, he doesn't, he's not backward in any comments. He takes on the religious leaders any chance he could get. He's like, I've been there. I've done that. I know your game. I like Paul. Paul's an amazing guy. Other than Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, he's my favorite Bible person, straight up. Let me qualify. Let me qualify. Jesus God and the Holy Spirit first. Outside of deity, Paul, okay? <laughs> Paul. How many people like Paul? Yeah. I don't know if you would like Paul. He's pretty rough. He'd probably tell you all about your life and what you need to fix up, but by the grace of God, he loves you. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. But did you know that before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul? He had his name changed. He, there's a name change. He, he was Saul. And I like the Bible because the Bible has a whole list of different people that had their name changed. You you got 17 occurrences, in fact, in the Bible that talk about different names that were were changed. We've got got names like Simon to Peter. How many people know that name? That's a powerful one. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter because Peter means rock, whereas Simon meant shifty. And what Jesus was doing is turning an emotionally unstable man into a man of character that people could anchor their life off. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I don't need someone who's shifty and characters all over the place emotionally. I need someone who's solid. So Jesus changed his name. We've got, we've got other occurrences of name changes in the Bible. We've got Sarai to Sarah. Sarai meant barren, but Sarah means fruitful. We've got Jacob to Israel. Jacob meant supplanter or heel grabber, but, but, but Israel means prevails with God. That's an upgrade. Amen. We've got Abram to Abraham. Abram wasn't bad. It meant father. But Abraham means father of many. It's better. And that's the way God works. God upgrades. But what's interesting and unique about Saul to Paul is that he changed his own name. He changed it. 
He changed it. We, we first see Paul, in fact, in Acts chapter to 9. He, we find Saul uh, when he's persecuting the church. As he said in Philippians, true to form, he's like, I harshly persecuted the church. And we see that in Acts chapter 9. We see him on the road to Damascus or Damascus. How many people remember that sermon? It'll bless you if you get that. To demask us. He, he's on the road to Damascus and, and, and on the road he has an encounter with God where, where the Bible says that a, a bright light shines around. Let me, let me read it so I get it right. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers, any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. That was the desire of his heart. But as he was approaching Damascus on on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city and you will be told what you must do. All this time while Saul was in his law living, all this time while he was zealous for his religion and zealous for his beliefs and zealous for God, this whole time he thought he was working for God. Totally. Felt justified in every action, every death, every persecution. He thought that he was upholding the standard. He thought he was preaching the standard. And he wasn't going to weigh in on that standard one bit. He was going to uphold it himself and make sure everybody else upheld it too. And this whole time in his religious zeal, in his passion to uphold the law and the standard and make sure everybody knew about it, he thought he was working for God. The whole time. But then in this moment, this one encounter as the Spirit of God meets him on the road to Damascus, as the bright light shines around him, Jesus speaks to Saul and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In that moment, he realises all this time he hasn't been working for God, he's been working against God. Imagine what that would feel like. This whole time. He's like, what? I've been working, what? And check this out. Then the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard someone, the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up, the, up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Everyone say blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, when I was preparing this message and reading over this text, it was fascinating to me how often I've read this text so many times before, but for some reason I've never considered the significance around the fact that he was blinded. Never. Just thought it was like, you know, just a little technicality in the story, a little bit paint the scenery get the picture a little bit more dramatic or something like that. Oh, yeah, by the way, he was blind. But, but God showed me something very significant in the fact that after this encounter, he was blinded. Because God, God showed me this in verse 17. It says, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he got up and was, was baptized. God had to adjust his sight so that when he saw again, he never saw the same. God had to adjust his sight so that when he saw again, he, 
He saw the same situations. He saw the same people. He saw the same circumstances. But, but, but God ensured it that when he would see again, he wouldn't see the same. He, he wouldn't see it through the same filter. It was like the scales had fallen off. It was like the filter of religiosity had to, had to fall off. The, the way that he viewed everything, the whole filter he had over his life, that he had to let that filter down and see things differently. I wonder how you've been seeing things in your past. I wonder how you've been seeing the, the people in your life. I wonder how you've been seeing the circumstances circumstances have you been looking through the filter of fear the filter of limitation and maybe God wants to let you see differently today that when you see again you don't see the same don't get me excited this morning I will get I will get preaching and I'm meant to be just presenting something nicely today. That's what the purpose of today I'm just like just come businesslike and just present it to you but you're making me preach with your arms folded all get through this okay God needed him to see things differently he needed him to to see the same things but see it differently he needed to see the same people he hated and now see them with love he he needed to have the heart of compassion he needed to see what God saw in people he already had passion but what God revealed was that it was a misguided pursuit He needed him to not see through fear, but to see by faith. Because faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The fact that you don't see it in your life right now is the evidence of faith in your life. Okay, let me help you. The, The fact that you might not see it a certain way requires the evidence of faith to operate in your life, to not just see it as it is, but to turn it around, to see it differently, to see it through the filter of faith, not the filter of fear, to see that God wants to turn some things around in your life today. To see things a little differently. But here, even at this time, he still saw, still saw, and what we see in Galatians is we actually see, I might give you a little bit of history right now just to kind of set the framework of where I want to go and it's all going to come together and you're going to love it, you're going to preach Jesus, you're going to stand on your feet, you're going to say amen. But first I need to give you a little bit of background to understand because often we think that, well, that moment Paul, he, he just has this encounter, you know, and a nice praise for him. He starts to see differently and then he goes into Jerusalem and starts preaching powerfully, but that's not the case. We see in Galatians that he actually goes into the desert for three years, for three years into the desert of Arabia where he just spends three years with with God, it took three years to make a Paul. It took him three years to just get all that, that stuff out of his life. And you wonder why it takes you so long to, to kind of keep thinking right and why it takes you some time to get all those, those thoughts out of your life. Come on, some things happen immediately and some things take some time. But, but for Paul, it required three years. Three years of just being immersed in God and being immersed with the Holy Spirit where where Jesus began to articulate some things and rewire some things because Paul knew what it was like to do for God but not do from God. And and, And he needed to learn how to come from God. He knew how it was to earn, please God, and earn God's favor and try and work for God. But he needed to know how just to be with Him. Just do from Him, not do for Him. And this is what we see learning how to be in him. And I mean, if you can get this, this will actually change your life. Paul already knew so many things, but there was so, so much he was missing. And so here we've got Paul or Saul who comes out of the 
the desert. And it's as he comes out of the desert to start his ministry where he changes his name to Paul. And you kind of think it would be actually a, an upgrade. That's kind of what you would think. It's kind of an unusual name to select out of being in you know, that kind of like a religious cocoon in a way. To be in a spiritual cocoon is probably a better way to put it. You know, I'm just going on a little retreat for three years, just a prayer retreat, just going to get closer to God. And then when he comes out of the desert, he renames himself, but he, he doesn't pick a more spiritual name. He picks a far less spiritual name because Saul was actually a very well-revered Jewish name. It was Hebrew. In fact, the first Israelite king was King Saul. It had a royal edge to the name. It was a very highly religious very highly respected name. You just say the name Saul and people kind of like, ooh, it's a big deal. He must be a good guy. His name's Saul. But, but what he chooses is he chooses a Roman version of his name, which would not have been the natural selection for a religious leader in that day. And I like it because ultimately what he does is he picks a name that's connected to his mission. He, he picks a name that's connected to the purpose that God had for him. Three years, God revealed his purpose. Even when we see in Acts, we see that God says to Ananias, go and pray for Saul. And Ananias is like, Mm-mm, not happening. I know this guy. He's killing people. It's not happening. Ananias is a man of faith. You know, so he's like, no, God, I don't think you got this right. But then God reveals to him, no, no, I've chosen Saul to be my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul connects his literal name as a prophetic statement of what God's called him to do. And so we see this name change. We see him change from Saul to Paul, a name that was connected to his mission, a mission to see Gentiles experience resurrection power and th- see things turn around. And, and I kind of can't help but feel that, that just maybe God is wanting for you to discover some things today that he has called you to. I can't help it as I was preparing this, thinking about you, church, and thinking about just maybe God wants you to see some things differently in your life. That maybe your name doesn't just have to represent where you've come from. That maybe your name could represent the calling that God's calling you to. And you don't have to change your name, but you do have to change your perspective. That's what God's calling. It doesn't require us all to take new names today, but to change the perspective from which we see our name to see what God calls us, not what we see and what people have spoken over us. To shift our perspective. He goes on to say this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying is he's he's saying, I desire more than anything that resurrection power. I desire it. The real power of heaven, the resurrection power, the power to turn things around. He's like, I want to Share in the sufferings. How many people pray that prayer? It's kind of heavy prayer stuff, Paul. I don't know how, how, how many people have that morning prayer. Usually you kind of pray for just favor in the day or blessing for your family. Here's Paul like, God, I want to suffer today. God, I pray that you would remove all caffeine from the world right now because I could really be doing with more tiredness. Now, I don't know what you're praying. But, but Paul ultimately was praying, God, I want to know, I don't want to just know your sufferings because without your sufferings, I wouldn't have the opportunity to turn some things around. Without the opposition in this life, I wouldn't have the opportunity to exercise the resurrection power that's within me. Hmm. I'll give you an example. The other week I shared a story that uh, as a family, we had our house broken into. And it's a pretty invasive 
thing to happen. Anybody who's had their home broken into or something stolen, you, you would know kind of that can kind of get into your psyche and, and the enemy can use that to try and produce fear in your life. You know, that, that feeling of being invaded and someone in your space, your safe space, and it's a very confronting uh, situation. And, and we had uh, someone break into our house and uh, it, was, it was what I didn't share with you was the real uh, home life situation behind that. And for us, we'd been in a season for some time now, really ever since we moved into the country, uh, of trying to help our daughter, one of our daughters in particular, sleep. She had a lot of trouble sleeping, and, and it's been really kind of frustrating in many ways for us, helping her kind of take captive all those fearful thoughts. And as one thing to preach it and then to try and put it into practice in your family life is, is a whole other story. You know what I'm talking about? You can preach one thing to, you, to people, but then you have to live it too. And, and so, you know, been working with her, trying to tell her Bible stories. And, you know, I'm doing my best, doing my best preaching. You know, I've got whole little sermons for her, you know, and talking about Daniel and the lion's den and how the angels held open the mouth, hold, held close the lion's mouths. And the angels, those same angels are probably around our house, you know, all that kind of stuff. And trying to build faith, trying to build confidence. And then it was just the other week, I was talking to her and I'm like, honey, why is it that you're still afraid? And she's like, Dad, I just got this just sense that someone's going to break into our house. And I'm down the other end of the house, and my bedroom's closest to the door. And I'm like, honey, no one will ever break into our house. So I said, dad of the year. And it was the very next day, while we're at work, they broke into our house. And, and it was a moment of parenting pressure when, when she said, see, dad, I told you. She was angry with me. And I had a little moment where I'm like, okay, God, help. This is where your Holy Spirit comes in, you know what I mean, and just start saying wise stuff. And I don't know what it was. I do know it was actually. It was the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit showed me it was an opportunity to turn some things around. Because we could take it at face value and we could let fear set in and we could let all those kinds of things set in and say, you were right, man. Why did I even say that kind of stuff over my life? Why did I even believe that, that, that we could be protected and all that kind of stuff? But, but what I was able to say is, hey, honey, they stole a lot of stuff, didn't they? She's like, yeah, Dad, they stole everything. I'm like, yeah, but they didn't steal our joy, did they? And she's like, you know what, Dad? Nobody can steal our joy. And I'm like, that's right, honey. And, and, and what I was able to do in that moment, even in an opposition moment, even in a moment of suffering, what we were able to do was have a very real life circumstance where we could turn it around. And what was built in our life, I got to tell you, our daughter is sleeping better than she ever has before. You figure that out. I don't know why. I don't know why. But, but, but what's powerful is when you realize what's presented to me in life is not how I have to see things. But what I have the ability to do is spin things. That's what's more powerful. Not just how you see it, but how you spin it. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to spin it. you got to spin it. You gotta spin that negative report. You gotta spin that diagnosis. You gotta spin that economic situation. You gotta spin that relational status. You gotta spin it around and see that even though it looks negative right now, what God has done in my life overpowers that, and what He's able to do is raise resurrection power in my life. Resurrection power. That kind of power, the, the kind of power that, that, that turns things around. You know, as a church, we are in a very interesting, intriguing season in the life of our, our church. I'm intrigued at what God's doing. It's unprecedented. It's not something that I've seen before. And, and, and I'm thoroughly enjoying the, the growth and the, 
the, all the notoriety and different things that God's doing, the influence in many ways that God's extending in our church. And I, I do believe that, that what we've seen isn't hardly to what God wants to do yet. We, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface in many ways. But, 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 but I do feel the urgency as the leader of this church to begin to prophesy some things into being. Not just to see things, but to begin to speak some things. Can I get an amen? To begin to speak some situations into being. To begin to prophesy over, over certain situations. Because I know that it's one thing to see it. It's a whole other thing to speak it. It's one thing to see it. It's another thing to speak it. I'm trying to get something in your head. I'm trying to get something in your heart that what you see in life doesn't have to determine what you say in life. So often we're trying to just say, speaking all the obvious stuff, speaking the fact that my bills are high, speaking the fact that it's expensive to live in the Silicon Valley, speaking the fact that jobs are changing and all that kind of stuff, just speaking whatever comes to our mind. But just maybe God wants you to speak differently from what you see. Maybe God wants to speak some things over your family that you don't see yet. Maybe God wants to speak some things over your spouse that you don't see yet. Maybe God wants you to speak some things over your account balance that you don't see yet. This will help somebody. And maybe I could ask you this. What are some things today that, that possibly some situations, some things, some circumstances in your life that you have seen a certain way, some, some opposition that you've seen, not even just spiritual, but practical. I'm talking about just some things in your life that have come against you and that have worked against you, that have positioned you where you are, that you've seen a specific way that just maybe God wants to see it, not as opposition, but as an opportunity to turn some things around. What are some things in your life, maybe some fear that you've had to overcome or you're yet to overcome. But what God's trying to see is He's trying to tell you, maybe you could turn that fear around and see that I can give you faith. No matter what you see, but you could speak something. Maybe it's an opportunity today to, to turn some things around in your life. So, some labels that you've been carrying where you've been labelled with certain things that have caused you to carry shame and caused you to carry regret. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're an opportunity right now to, for God to reveal that as you turn that around, that God wants to show you that the, the power that comes with being in relationship with Him, to overcome what the past has said, that but even though your past is one particular way, God can speak into your future. Just maybe. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about C3 Silicon Valley, to plan your visit or to support this ministry financially, visit us at c3sv.com.